I knew when Rick uh, first saw the organ that he was going to have to be on that organ song. He's, he's been an organist. Yes. He's, he's a terrific keyboardist in every way, uh, keyboard, piano, and organ. And so thank you, Rick, and thank you, choir. We're in Amazing Messy Grace, chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Now, in the foyer are your devotionals that start on the 16th. So as you go out, this is the last booklet of daily devotionals that we have in the book of Ephesians. Some of you are following right along. Some of you are receiving that by email, but we have printed copies. And uh, for everybody who would like to have one, they're in the back as you exit today. And so we'll pick up on the 16th with that particular booklet. Today we are in Ephesians chapter 5 and we're starting with verse 1. Can you believe we've gone through four chapters of the book and now we're at chapter 5. Verse 1, follow God's example. The apostle writes, therefore, as dearly loved, loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers or partners with them. So we have this cone of uncertainty that we've all been looking at. And the meteorologists put it up on the screen, and they say we're not certain where this hurricane is going, but it's somewhere in this cone. Not always, but usually it works out. To be in the cone, which it did this time pretty amazingly, all the way from the Caribbean Sea, which is sort of amazing. And uh, so we have a cone of uncertainty that we're not sure where the storm is going or where it will hit land. Well, the Apostle Paul here talks about some things you can be sure of, some certainties, a kind of cone of certainty. I want to talk about three things that are certainties for those who trust in Jesus, okay? You are dearly loved children. You are God's holy people, and you are kingdom heirs. Now, you are dearly loved children, that's how he starts this out. This first verse. 
And we love to think about ourselves that way, to see ourselves as the children of God, dearly loved, and to understand ourselves in this way. It fits with our understanding that God is love, and so He loves us, and we are His children. The apostle writes here, dearly loved of God. Now, it's an astonishing thing. This is amazing grace. Look at the love God has lavished on us that we should be called his children. The apostle John writes. John also says, as many as received Christ, to those people God gives the power to become his children even those who believe in His name. Sometimes the idea of children of God is very wide. It's all about being a created uh, being whom God has made. And so in that sense, everybody's a child of God. But it's much more specific in the writing here and in most of the New Testament. It's not just being about a creation of God. It's being about someone who has received Christ as Lord and Savior and believed in His name. As many as received Him, as many as believed on His name, to those He gives the power to become the children of God. The apostle writes here that we are dearly loved children. And when he uses the word loved, he uses the word Agape, which is the main word for love that you have in the New Testament. It's this love that comes from the lover, that does not depend on the one being loved. We call it God's unconditional love. And the apostle says here, as dearly loved children, then, you are to walk in the way of love. And the idea of walk is there in this text. We are to walk, we are to journey in the way of love. The apostle writes in John 14, Jesus speaking, he says, I'm going away, you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you have this path that you're on, this journey that you're on, and you are on a journey as a dearly loved child of God, and God has called you to this love, which He has given to you as well, and so you are to walk in this way of love. Now, this way of love mimics God who loved you first. We agape Him because He first agaped us, right? We love Him because He first loved us. And the way he loved us is at the end of chapter 4. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So the way of love includes this mimicking of God. He has set for us an example. He starts out, you have this example. You are to follow in God's path. You are to go in the way of love and that includes forgiving like you've been forgiven. So we are challenged again, starting in chapter 5, to forgive one another 
so that we walk in the way of love. Now, love can be costly. And the Apostle Paul has this beautiful phrase here, that we are to walk in the way of love as Christ has loved us, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. I want you to catch this, okay? Because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It really is. He who loved us and gave himself for us. The Apostle John says the same thing in his letter. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the satisfaction for our sin. I love that this phrase comes again and again in the New Testament. He who loved us and gave himself for us. And so agape can be very costly for you. You will experience a cost if you love like God has loved you. Even though we receive with wonder this amazing grace that we are the children of God, now are we the children of God, the apostle celebrates. We receive this with wonder and amazement. But we are reminded we are only the children of God because God loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sin. And so we then, entering into this life of love, walking in the way of love, should expect that there will be cost, just as there was for our Lord. So we will have a cost to our love. Are you willing to pay the price of love? Our foster families are amazing to me. They are amazing to me. To me, they set the bar so high in this matter of love. And when I look at a foster parent with a child in his arms or her arms, I think how pitiful my love is compared to what these folks do. In receiving the children in the middle of the night and caring for them as their own and loving them from the very moment they get them. And it's so costly. Have you ever seen the tears of a foster parent? Do you know their pain when the child goes back? Do you know when you sign up for that, you sign up for pain? You sign up to hurt. You sign up to pay the price of love. That's why the apostle puts verses 1 and 2 beside verses 3 and 4. Okay? I want you to get the connection. Certainly, you are dearly loved children of God. And certainly, you are God's holy people. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper 
for God's holy people. Our mind resists the notion that being dearly loved children of God goes with being God's holy people. We feel like love ought to come with no strings attached, that there's no demand in love, no command in love. But we know that's not true from our own experience living in the world. When somebody loves us deeply and dearly, and we are about to disappoint them with our behavior, and they're going to be grieved and brokenhearted if we do this thing before us. There is a check in our spirit. And we think to ourselves, would I really want my mother to find out? Would I really want that loved one to know the thing I'm about to do? See, there is a moral demand in love. And when you receive love and you see yourself as beloved children of God, there is a sense of I ought to behave in a certain way because God loves me so amazingly. And because he loves me amazingly, I am accountable to that love, okay? So, here's how you love God back. Here's how you return that love which he has amazingly given to you. And you can't do it perfectly, okay? You don't do it amazingly even. Maybe you do it messily, okay? It's amazing, messy grace. But here's the challenge for you. To be God's holy person while at the same time being his dearly loved child and seeing these two not as separate entities but as the same expression of who I am. You are God's holy children. Holy fundamentally means that you are set apart. When when we read the phrase, as many as received him, to those people he gives the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, we think for a moment it's up to us to be a child of God. But the scripture says, and Jesus tells his disciples, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you, all right? So it's God, fundamentally, who does the choosing, and we who respond to his gracious invitation. When God chooses us, he chooses us for his purposes, and he sets us apart unto himself. That's the idea of holy. Holy is being separated and set apart. Now, lots of times when we think about holy, we think about our moral behavior, and that's part of it, and he lists some things here. But mostly it's about my position in heaven, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, like he says in Ephesians 2. Mostly holiness is about where God has put me in his grand purpose and plan. So as God's dearly beloved children, I'm set apart here in this place to be his representative, his ambassador, his child, his servant on this earth. How does that express? How does that work out? 
It works out in very practical ways. And there are three things he mentions that are improper for you once you've been set apart as God's holy uh, people and once you realize that you are his dearly loved children, okay? There's there's some things that are improper now. They, They are improper for you because of who you are. You have this certainty that you are beloved children of God and you are God's holy people. And in that certainty, there are some things now that are improper for you. The Apostle Paul has to say this again and again because that Roman and Greek culture to which he wrote these letters initially was full of immorality. It was just taken for granted. But you're God's holy people. Dearly loved of him. And you understand your being in the world, not from below, as if you were an elevated animal. Like you're an armadillo with a big brain. You don't understand yourself from below. You understand yourself from above. That you are God's children, dearly loved The children of God, that is, I have a resemblance with my Father in heaven. I am connected to Him. I am part of the family. I understand myself that way. Now, you can't have it both ways, okay? You're connected to the earth, but you're connected to to heaven too. You have a citizenship on this planet, but you have a citizenship in heaven that trumps everything else. And this perspective that I am a child of God, God's holy person, now governs how I behave in the world, how I see myself in the world. So I'm not just a smart animal. I am a child of God, spiritually, vitally connected to Him. And therefore, this body that I have, it belongs to Him. This body belongs to him. And he has a discipline for me about how I can maximize my life, my quality of life, my witness and service to him in the world. And if I am to maximize what God intends for me to do in this world, then I must bring my body under the discipline of being his child and his set-apart person, okay? So I can't just eat anything and everything. God didn't want me to be a glutton. I can't just drink anything and everything. God doesn't want me to be drunk. And I can't just have the use of my sexuality any way I want it. I'm not just a smart animal. I'm a child of God. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Therefore, I am to honor God, not only in my spirit, but in my body, which belongs to God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, and you are not your own. Now, I want to eat when I get hungry, and I want to drink When I get thirsty. And some people say the sexual urge is in the same category. And it is unwise and unkind to set any parameters on our sexual desires. In the Greek world where these Ephesians lived, 
They saw sexual immorality, adultery, and fornication everywhere. And it was just assumed that's how you lived. It was even part of their religion. They had temple prostitutes in their temples. It was just taken for granted. The word for sexual immorality here is porneia, from which we get pornography. We think our culture is satiated with sexual vision and visuals. Well, that culture was too. There is not to be a hint, even a hint, of sexual immorality in your life because you are his dearly loved child and a holy person set apart unto him. That's the sexual standard of the word of God. It's the teaching of the book from beginning to end. I had five children in my house overnight. They didn't want to get trapped by the flood or by the storm. And so we had two of our great nieces and a little infant and two of our grandkids. And they played in the rain yesterday evening. And I found myself standing on a porch saying, don't run out in that street. Don't run out in the street. Get back out of there. And they were kicking the ball around. Well, they don't realize at three or four that a truck or a car can hit them and then it's all over. So they have to be instructed about this. Don't run out in the street. And I tell you, the house is a mess. I'm not going to go upstairs for a few days. <laughs> but I'll eventually work up the courage to go upstairs and see what happened there. Because that's just how kids are, you know. We went through three full outfits for all four of the bigger ones. Just throw them in the wash, throw them in the wash, dry them out, get them another outfit. That's messy grace. You're the children of God. You've got some growing to do. You have some maturing to do. We're not going to beat you over the head about where you've been or what's happened in your past. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. But you've got some things to learn about how you honor the Heavenly Father who made you and sent His Son who bought you and you belong to Him. You've got some things to learn now, okay? And part of it is what you do in this body really matters. And if you run in the street, you can get hurt. And if you're not careful, you can hurt others. And God's standard was set forth a long time ago in the Ten Commandments. No adultery. There is a covenant in which you express your sexuality. And it is the covenant of marriage. And there ought to be not a hint, not even a hint, no mention of sexual immorality for those who are children of God God's holy people. You say, preacher, when are you going to back off on such a strict standard? People have been trying to pound down that standard through these thousands of years. Why do you want to do Because it is God's highest 
finest goal for you that you might bring every desire into submission to him and you might live out your life as that person who is separated and holy unto him. No hint of sexual immorality, no pornography, no getting lost in those desires, no discovering that you've been trapped by those pictures and that draw and those things that are in everybody's heart. No going down that path that just leads to a miserable end. We're not going there. No impurity. No greed. I'm not going to live my life for stuff. I'm not going to live my life to satisfy these desires in me. I'm going to live my life as a child of God separated unto him. That's how I see myself. That's who I am. You see, among you, I'm not saying this is going to happen outside these doors or in the city of New Orleans or anywhere else. But among you, who know yourselves to be dearly loved children of God, who know yourselves to be God's holy people set apart for his purposes, among you, it is improper to practice sexual immorality or impurity or to surrender to that draw of greed and make your life about stuff. And some other things do not fit. They are out of place. Among these are obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse jokes in this list. Now, you can do your own study of what those words are in the original language, but we get the sense of this, all right? Pornography, improper. Porneo, sexual immorality, not even a hint of it. Obscenity, out of place, not fitting for the child of God. You see this? God cares about not only what you do, but how you talk. He really cares about this. And your place and position in the world, your witness in the world, why he's left you here and what he's doing in you is going to move you toward a mouth that helps others, that blesses them, that lives in the atmosphere of gratitude so that gratitude is continually coming out of your mouth I know you've never thought about maybe gratitude as the opposite of obscenity have you ever thought about that that gratitude could be the opposite of coarse and vulgar talk but that's what he lays out here he says hey that stuff doesn't fit instead try this just a giving of thanks just a thankful heart every day, everywhere you go. Giving praise to God for all his gifts. So glad, God, that we didn't get the storm. We're just thankful today that we can have the sunshine. And talking that way. Just changing our talk. So, as God's holy people, out of the command of love, the command that is implicit in love, the command of love that draws you to your best self, to who God wants you to be, out of the command of love, we drop these behaviors that are improper, that do not fit with our identity in Christ, and we remember 
that we are heirs of the kingdom. See, he talks about being heirs of the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he mentions these greedy, impure, immoral folks. And he says about them, they are idolaters. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping their own desires. People are going to tell you, and already have done so, that these behaviors are fine for you. Why preachers would say anything or why the Bible, we don't. But these behaviors are fine for you. You get smarter. That's what they tell you, okay? This scripture calls that empty talk. That's empty talk. It was going on in the first century. People were saying, oh, no, you can live any way you want to. You know, sex is just like eating food or whatever. It can be recreational. It's fine. That's just empty talk. Those words don't mean anything. They're as empty as they can be. Don't listen to them. Instead, listen to the book that says, you are God's holy people. You are dearly loved. And that's who you are, and therefore, you drop what is improper. You drop what does not fit. Instead, you live with thanksgiving, knowing that you're heirs of the kingdom. Now, this this is a wonderful truth, okay? The kingdom of Christ and of God. That's how he mentions it here. There's only one other place in the New Testament where the term, the kingdom of Christ, is used. It's about the eternal kingdom of Christ. But Jesus talks about that kingdom that he has. He talks about the kingdom of God. And he talks about how in my kingdom we pull up that which is uh, impure and sinful and wicked. He has a parable about that in Matthew chapter 13. To be an heir of the kingdom is to be God's child, a joint heir with Christ, and an heir to the riches of God. Now, this may not feel exciting to you because you like what's in front of you. You like to see it right here. You like to experience it today. But to be an heir of the kingdom of Christ is to have this eternal perspective that looks down the road and sees that, hey, there's a day when I'm going to be in the presence of Christ And there's a wonderful moment there when I'm going to see him face to face. And I'm going to live my life in the glow of that reality, that future reality, which belongs to me. Because I am his child and his person, I am an heir to the kingdom. So what's going on in you? Have you started to shape your life based on being a really smart animal? Are you looking at yourself from the bottom up? And that's how you started to view yourself? Has your behavior deteriorated? Have you developed a perspective about yourself that matches some bad behavior that's going on in you? And you've decided, hey, I'm going to think of myself in a different way now. Just how in the middle is this certainty, I am a dearly loved child. I am part of God's holy people. I am an heir to the kingdom. The apostle says, these are the realities that shape my future and shape my behavior in the here and now. Bow with me, please.
as we bow our heads gives us an opportunity to just talk to God ourselves think about where we are in our own path are we in the way of love are we walking in that way are we responding to the command of love to love one another do we see ourselves as God's people separated unto him for his purposes this is all about grace there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus it's not about beating ourselves up for past behavior it's about learning as dearly loved children how to live in a way that pleases the Heavenly Father Lord by your Holy Spirit teach us work in us move us help us understand you and ourselves better Lord show us how to live as dearly loved as holy people in your world in Jesus name we pray Amen